0: invite you to turn in your Bible to Matthew 28, one of the shorter passages that we've looked at in the past several weeks, and yet there's much that should be said, and by more capable people, much that could be said, I'm just going to say some. Matthew 28, and I'm going to focus on just 18 through 20, but we're going to read 16 through 20. And so if you'll follow along and listen as I read to you what is called the Great Commission. Matthew 28, verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. Last week I told you, and you can see for yourself as you just pay attention to how it ends, that Matthew closes out his entire gospel with the words of Jesus on this unknown mountain in Galilee. As had they had been directed, the eleven disciples have come, they've gathered, and Jesus is there waiting for them. Possibly there were more people than the eleven, but it says specifically that the eleven disciples were there. It doesn't make too much difference for our purposes this morning. Jesus on this mountain charges them with what the church has known ever since as the Great Commission. I bet that most of you know it very well. I bet most of you could quote it from memory. I've heard plenty of teaching and preaching on these verses. Whenever a missionary comes to preach, there's a really good chance... They're going to have us turn in our Bibles to Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And uh, when I was a kid, I used to wonder, do they teach missionaries to preach from anywhere else in the Bible? than <laughs> the Great Commission, is like, this is all you know? Uh, but uh, it's a good passage. Today, I want, to, I want to just help you from this passage. What I think is, yet again, a very familiar text to many of us. Whether or not it's new to you or if it's very common and familiar, I think that we can all find help here. We're going to focus on the final words of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. So I want to make sure that we truly understand what he's saying here. Let's hear his instruction to the 11 first, and then as it applies to us today. As is the case in anywhere in Scripture, we need more than an intellectual understanding of of the Word of God. It's not enough. If you sit here, you hear and you go, I get that, and you leave. And it never changes you. We don't come so that we can just get smarter. We come so that we might be encouraged, so that we'll be changed, so that we might hear what God has said, so that we may go and obey. Last Sunday, I told you that Matthew 28 emphasizes the fact that Jesus is alive today and the whole world needs to know about it. They need to be told. And more importantly, they need to realize the implications of the truth that Jesus is no longer dead. And I want to give closer attention to these implications this morning. Yes, Jesus is alive. And that means something. Something. It means a whole lot, in fact. But in a nutshell, the fact that Jesus is alive demands our unwavering allegiance and complete obedience to Him. It's the big idea, if you will. If you get nothing else, come back to that and uh, get recentered. As the risen Christ, Jesus has received all authority in heaven and on earth. And because of that authority that he has received, he commissions his disciples to go and tell everybody. And I want to just point out the structure of this last section to you so that I think as we understand the structure, it will help us to keep everything straight and make sense of what it is that we need to see. In the last three verses here, there are four mentions of the word all. Okay, so that's how we'll let it govern how we're going to work through this. Jesus said that all authority had been given to him. The disciples were to go make more disciples of all the nations. They were to baptize and teach all that Jesus had commanded them. And finally, Jesus promised to be with them always. Literally, he is saying all of the days. So we have all of the authority and all of the nations and all of the commands and all of the days. And this all structure fits together to become what is called the Great Commission. This is the purpose statement of the church. You want to know why we're here, what we're supposed to be doing while we're here. It's all summarized in the Great Commission. There's a lot more to say and to, to, to unpack, but in a nice little box we find it in these three verses. As the risen Christ, Jesus has received absolute authority. And all of His absolute authority is now the basis for the command to go make disciples. And all of the nations indicates that where we're supposed to go make them. And baptizing and teaching is indicates how we're going to make them. And all the commands tell us what's to teach them. And all the days promises that we're not alone in this mission, and it guarantees our success. Now, if I could just get you to remember that, we would be done. But since you don't, we're going to keep going. First of all, Jesus said in verse 18, all authority. He said there, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This means, this word authority, it means He has control over something. It means the right to act or to decide. It means Jesus has absolute power. He is the king. That's what we mean when we say that he is sovereign. He answers to no one. He makes the rules. He determines how things will be. Everyone else answers to him. He answers to no one. Now in the Greek Old Testament... If you're familiar, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, but there is a Greek version of the Old Testament, just like there's an English version of the Old Testament. And in the Greek Old Testament, the reason I'm bringing this up is because our New Testament is from the Greek, the word that is translated, that Jesus uses as authority, is often translated as rule, having rule or having dominion. You can make a note and look at these later, but in Daniel 4, verse 17, verse 25... And verse 32, we have the repeated phrase, the Most High rules over the kingdom of men. It's the same word in the Daniel passages as Jesus is using in Matthew for the word authority. He has the rule. Similarly, in Daniel chapter 7, this word is used three times as dominion. When one like a son of man, this is Daniel's vision, one like a son of man comes before the ancient of days with the clouds, it says that he is given dominion, there's that word authority, glory, and a kingdom. In order that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. Verse 14 says, His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. This, of course, refers to Jesus, who is the Son of Man, who has ascended to the Ancient of Days with the clouds and has sit, sit down at the right hand of the throne of God and has received all authority in heaven and on earth. So what does he mean when he says, all, I, I, all, I have received all authority in heaven and on earth? He is saying, I'm the supreme ruler everywhere. I am the supreme potentate. I think uh, one, one verse in the New Testament calls it that. He is the Lord of all. He is the ruler of everyone and everything. Hebrews 2.8, the passage we read this morning, says that God has left nothing outside of His control, even the people who didn't give Him permission. Ephesians 1.20 says that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. This is the supreme authority of Jesus Christ. And this supreme authority is the basis for everything else that comes next. The emphasis and the ground for the church's disciple-making mission is Jesus' all-authority. And from it flows this task defining where we go, what we do, how we do it, and the promise of continual presence as we do it. So notice in verse 19, he says, Therefore, go. Go, because I have all authority in heaven and on earth. Go, make disciples. Go, therefore. I have a t-shirt that I got at, a, at a, a conference I went to a number of years ago, and it's got one word. Some of you have seen it. Many of you have asked me about it. It's the word poruthentis, and it's Greek. And people say, what does that mean? I say, go. That's all it means. It's a lot of, word, a lot of letters to say go, but you know, it's a conversation piece. So I, I wear it sometimes. That's the mandate to go and make disciples. Why? Because Jesus has all authority. What do they do when they go? Make disciples. What's a disciple? A disciple is someone who learns. That's what it is. To make disciples means to make a pupil, to make someone a student. But it's not just someone who observes, someone who studies. Many of us sat through many classes, learning, kind of observing, and completely forgetting everything that was gone on in that class. That is not Christian discipleship. Don't sit here like you sat in geometry class, just waiting for the bell to ring. We don't have a bell, so you're be here a long time. Uh, Don't sit here and expect to forget it all one day, as many people in my class thought in algebra. When are we going to use this in real life? You're going to use this in real life all the time. As soon as you walk out the door, before you get there, even. Disciples don't just observe, they imitate what they see. So they're observing in order to do, to copy, to follow. When Jesus makes that wonderful statement in Matthew 11, "Come to me all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest." He also says, "Learn from me." Be a disciple. Because disciples study their master. They closely follow his teaching and they imitate what they see. And I hope that that describes you. Disciple, one who is learning not one who has learned at all. The moment that you say that, you need to re enroll. We're learning. We are observing, We're imitating our teacher. Where should we they go and make disciples? Are they supposed to stay in Israel? Are they supposed to just continue staying in Galilee as Jesus had done for his three and a half years of ministry? Who do they go and tell? Answer: Go everywhere and tell everyone, all the nations, make disciples of all the peoples. Remember Daniel verse seven, uh, seven fourteen. I read it just a moment ago. The Son of Man receives the kingdom, so that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve Him. I, I, I was going to put the scripture in and I took it out and now I wish I had because I can't remember it all. But in, uh, somewhere in the Old Testament, God says, it is too light a thing that I just saved the people of Israel. I will make you a, a witness to all of the nations, to all of the world. Continue telling the Jews who are near and they know the one true God and they began that work. But also go to the Gentiles who are far from God, who serve idols who don't know the one true God of Israel, who live in the farthest corners of the earth. That's Acts 1.8. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And this is exactly what the early church did. They spread the gospel to the farthest corners of the known world. Now, our part of the world, this exact spot was unknown to the apostles. You think about that. As they were going into all the world, I wonder if they ever thought, well, I think we finally did it. (laughs) Centuries later, uh, some people would stumble across uh, a brand new continent all the way across the ocean. And yet somehow, providentially, that word, that good news, has come to us. It has gone further than even the apostles could have imagined. Our part of the world has heard the good news. We have their teaching in the Scriptures. And until Christ returns, we have their mission to make more disciples. Now as an individual, you cannot complete this task. Don't read the Great Commission as a personal uh, address to you. There is no way that you or I could go and reach the world by ourselves. There is no way that this could apply just to this church. We we are limited with time and resources, money. But as the whole church of Christ, empowered by the Spirit of God, we can, we must, and we will. So, as the local church, as a local body of believers, we pray for the church to carry out her mission. We send and support missionaries who will go to the nations with the good news of Jesus Christ. We even go ourselves, right where we live. We make disciples because Jesus has received all authority in heaven and on earth. Let me just ask as we Before we move on from this, where do you fit in the church's disciple-making mission? I don't suppose that all of us are supposed to be doing the same thing. There's too much to do. We can't all do one thing. And I don't think that we've been all gifted in the same way to do the same thing. But we all should be doing something. What are you doing? Are you praying that the Lord of the harvest will send laborers? Are you supporting others who do go? Have you ever thought about going yourself? Someone's got to go. Why not you? It doesn't have to be around the world. How about your family? Are you making disciples in your family? Mom and dad? Do your children know? Follow? Are they obeying? How about your neighbors? How about the people that are sitting here in this room? There are people sitting in this room at this moment that need to know what the gospel is. They need to hear it again and again and again. They need someone to help bring them along. And I know, yeah, they have a Bible. And even if they're a believer, they have the Spirit of God. That should be enough. Do you remember when Philip was brought into the desert? And he came across the Ethiopian reading the Bible. And he said, do you understand what you're reading? And he was reading Isaiah, so I mean, it was already kind of difficult. But he said, how can I unless someone guide me? So Philip said, I'll do that. And he guided him. He helped him. That's what we need to be doing for one another and for the people in our lives. Romans 10.13 says, Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Notice all of the different pieces to the puzzle there. And he says, so then, faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. But notice that he talks about the second all, the all, or the third all, I'm sorry, all the commands. What does it mean to make disciples? Really, what does that mean? How how does that look? If we're going to go and tell, we might as well know what we're going to talk about. Might as well know what it is we're doing. And Jesus describes it here in two ways. I don't think that this is the, uh, the, the complete list, but I think this captures the essence of it pretty well. Baptizing and teaching. So let's look at baptism for a moment. Baptism, Christian baptism, marks the people of God. Very, very simply, baptism marks who God's people are. If you want to know who Jesus' disciples are, you look to the people who have been baptized. Who are those people? We start with them. The people who have been baptized in His name. Baptism symbolizes our communion with Christ and with His church. You know, one of the things that we never see in Scripture or in church history, baptism was never an additional thought to the apostles. Baptism was never considered an add-on option to the early church. For 2,000 years... The people of God have been baptized in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, being marked and identified as disciples of Christ. So, just be real plain, if you are a disciple of Jesus, you should be baptized. If you're not, why not? Why not? It doesn't get much plainer than that. If you're not, why not? The second piece of this, and baptism is that one-time thing that marks them, but then there's a continual process, and this is with the teaching. These disciples that are made and baptized are taught. The teaching shows us how to live as disciples of Jesus. Jesus said, teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. This means then that it is not enough for us to make a decision, to walk an aisle, raise your hand, pray a prayer, or just to get baptized. It's important. It's not enough. You can't stop short just as acknowledging Jesus as Lord or being baptized. There must be obedience. Now now hear me, listen carefully. I came across a quote this week in my studies. To make disciples is not complete unless it leads them to a life of observing Jesus' commandments. Jesus wanted his disciples to pass on all that he had taught them and commanded them. He wanted them to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Jesus wants obedient disciples who make more obedient disciples. And the goal of the teaching is obedience. Now hear that. Hear it in two ways. First, as a disciple and as a disciple maker. The goal is is obedience. Jesus wants his disciples, the 11 and everyone that came after, to observe all his commands. Not some of them, not a few of them, not the ones that we like and make us make sense to us, all he says, do what he commanded. Period. Remember, Jesus has the authority and the power He's in charge. He makes the rules, so then it makes sense that we obey Him. The disciples were to obey the command to therefore go because Jesus has the authority, and those who heard the teaching must obey because Jesus has all the authority. Now, if obedience is something that new disciples must be taught to do, doesn't it make sense that existing disciples should be obedient as well? In other words, if we're going to make obedient disciples, shouldn't it begin with us being obedient disciples? The New Testament calls this obedience of faith. Paul begins his letter to the Romans by saying that the apostles had been commissioned to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among the nations. That's Romans 1.5. And at the very end of his letter, he concludes by saying that the gospel was meant to bring about the obedience of faith. That's Romans 16, verse 26. Peter also writes that we were chosen by God for obedience to Jesus Christ. It's, It's about obeying Christ. It's about getting into a place where we are no longer in rebellion against God, but rather in obedience and submission to God. I think too often, Christians have a disconnect between, I need to be saved from hell and from sin, and so I need, to, I need Jesus, and now that I'm saved, it's on, man, I can do what I want now. No. You have been saved to obey. Man's original sin, think about this. We read it this morning purposefully. Man's sin in the garden was not listening to God. He did not obey God. Man chose to to decide for himself what was good and evil. What was the tree that he was supposed to avoid? Adam and Eve were supposed to avoid the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Think about it this way. God will decide what is good and evil. You don't need to even... Bother, But when the serpent tempts Eve, who then gives the, 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 the fruit to, the, to, the, to her husband, he says, you will be as gods, knowing good and evil. You can decide. You can make the choice for yourself. And they chose death. Man's disobedience is what brought us death in the first place. So then, why would we think that as Christians... We can go through life and do whatever we want and ignore what God has said. That's not a legalistic attitude. That's a biblical doctrine of obedience to Christ. Jesus has received all authority. Therefore, we must identify with him in baptism and obey his every command. There's one more all. Jesus concludes his instruction with this promise I am with you always to the end of the age. I'm not being cute by saying there's another all there. Literally, it's it's he's saying all of the days. I am with you all of the days. This is a promise here that the church isn't alone in her efforts to go and make disciples. Ultimately, she will be successful. We will be successful because God is with us. The very beginning of Matthew has the promise of Emmanuel, God with us. We celebrate that at Christmas. And before he ascends to heaven, he reminds them nothing, excuse me, nothing has changed. God will still be with us. This is such a wonderful promise, I think. Because it is given to people we are going to fail to obey all of his commands. This is not a conditional promise. It says, as long as you keep it up, I'll hang in there with you. No, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Do you think that Jesus thought, these guys are never going to mess up once? They're never going to get it wrong. They're always going to obey. No. We're no different. And yet the promise is there. No matter how hard you try, you're going to sin. No matter how far you've grown as a Christian, no matter how many times you've come to church, how many times you've read the Bible through, how many sermons you've preached, or lessons you've taught, or whatever it is you can keep track of these days, you're still going to fail. You're going to sin. Because you have that nature, that old dead man is still attached. But Christ will never leave you nor forsake you. He is with you always. No matter how bad or scary this world gets, no matter how uncertain things seem to be, no matter how many times we fail, his dominion, his authority, is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. Joy to the world. Are you saying that? Joy to the world. Why? For the Lord has come. And the next line is the call then. Let earth receive her king. He's king. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. So then men and women, receive your king. Boys and girls, follow the king, Jesus Moms and dads, make disciples of your children and teach them to serve and obey their king by modeling it and teaching them how to do it. Grandma and grandpa, trust in your king. Young men, young women, be disciples who follow and imitate and observe your king. Sinner, Look to the cross. Behold, your king. Look to the empty grave. Behold, your king. He is not dead. He is risen, just as he said. He has received all authority in heaven and on earth. He now sits enthroned in heaven as the king of kings and the lord of lords. So come to your king. Bow before him. Obey his gospel. Turn to him and be saved, for he is God, and there is no other. First Baptist Church, let us serve our king. Let us listen to him, learn from him, and obey everything he's commanded. Let us be obedient disciples, who make disciples, right here and right now. Because he has received all authority in heaven and on earth. And he has promised to be with us always. Let's pray. Almighty God, who gave to us Jesus, our blessed Lord, Gave him all the authority and rule, everlasting dominion, and an eternal kingdom. Who gave the apostles the mission to make disciples of all the peoples. Grant that we, as those disciples, may continue their work in our day, being obedient learners, and teaching others to follow him. Make us loyal and obedient to Christ, our King, who reigns with you in the Spirit, worthy of all blessing and honor and praise. Amen.